Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next level, if that's what we're still calling it. I take a week off and all of a sudden we're changing the name of the show. I'm JVL here with my two best friends, Sarah Longwell and Timothy Miller of The Bulwark. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I won't even say all who celebrate because everyone celebrates Thanksgiving because it's the best. The you know what best I'm thankful holiday, for? Jerry. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful you're back, buddy. We really Me. missed you. Oh, I'm also you. thankful to have you back. Whoa, that's cool. The little heart thing. Does that happen for me yeah, too? Look at that. No, just, no you. just me. Just me, Tim. Um, it's fascinating. my magic. Okay. Uh, that's only for the YouTube folks only. Our YouTube page is crushing, by the way. Um, JVL, it is. I'm yeah. also grateful to have you back. And yeah, I mean, I think maybe not having your malign influence and your kind of uh, the the strong man, you know, fist with which you run this program gave us the opening to kind of discuss, you know, our brand identity, you know, a little bit more, you know, and I think that's I really am, what it was. You know, you rule us with one, an iron fist and now when you're gone, sometimes you see things through a different light. I am 100% open to changing the name of the show. Yeah, because it's true. If somebody's like, why did you call it the next level? You would be like, I don't recall. Why? Well, yeah. <laughs> no idea. And and also, and they'd be like, well, what does it mean? Not sure. We're not all. It's so, a video game, right? We've just gone to the next level. It's yeah. like we turn it to eleven. Turn it to eleven. See this okay. one. This one goes to eleven. Anyway, we've uh, got some creative look, suggestions, but so we're going to just, just tell us what a better one is. That's all. Yeah. Don't tell us it's bad. Tell us what the better one is. Okay, quick show notes. No uh, Sunday Next Level this week. We're taking a holiday off for it. And just a quick note in case I forget to say it at the end because I'm a little scattered this week. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to all of you guys out there. Please travel safe. Please uh, just have a good one because we love you. There, normally you say that stuff at the end of the show, but I'm doing it at the top. We have some good Sundays coming, by the way, in the can, including one where JVL's going to take the reins, which I'm excited about. Oh, I'm and, so excited. Um, and, and Scott Galloway from Sunday, if you missed it, I've gotten more texts about it than anyone we've done so far. People love Prof G, which was a little, kind of hurt my feelings a little bit, because I, you know, I kind of see myself as sort of the star. The star? Like, no. Right. You feel like you're really the star of the show, and the yeah, guests are just there no. to set you up. No. Yeah. Well, you're the star okay. in our heart, Tim. Thank you, sir. Ron DeSantis has figured out the problem that he's having and that it's the his never back down super PAC has done a bad job. Hmm. So uh, NBC News yesterday broke the story that there was nearly a fist fight between Jeff Rowe and one of Ron DeSantis's confidants, which I guess means person who's familiar with the governor's thinking, but is absolutely not coordinating with the governor's campaign. <laughs> And uh, they were having a meeting at the Never it Back Down. Like there was, it didn't seem like there was an FEC violation that happened during this fist fight, <laughs> like prior or post the fist fight. Uh, it seems like there might have been a, a, a – the Federal Election Commission is kind of asleep at the switch, though, so I don't know. I do have to say the, the entire coordination thing seems insane to me, like the, the rules around super PACs and – can't be so so what so you're you're you know i'm a bud drinking buddy of ronda santis's and we just hang out and he like pops off about how boy he really wishes his super pack could do xyz and i'm on the board as i go over and i'm why aren't we doing xyz and that anyway can i just tell you what's so annoying yeah. just on this compliance Please. point is that i deal with packs and c4s and c3s and we are so careful about it like we take it very seriously and we check with lawyers before we do stuff and these guys just have full-on meetings uh where they're just like <laughs> like no wall no they're supposed to be like cooling down periods now granted i don't do like politics politics with candidates so maybe they just all violate things and no one cares but like this seems insane to me based on what i know about the rules of the game 
Uh, your lawyer's on notice that his billable hours is about to go down. Like, you're looking at these Ron DeSantis stories <laughs> and going, I'm, not, I'm tired of paying you for this much. Okay, like, these fuckers are just doing whatever they want. Let me set you guys up, since you're both political professionals. Uh, mm-hmm. What happens is the DeSantis confidants on the board of Never Back Down are very angry that the Never Back Down attacks on Nikki Haley are actually sticking to DeSantis and hurting his numbers mm. and that it's all very bad because the Never Back Down hasn't helped really and his numbers keep going down. So the solution is to set up a competing super PAC called Fight Right. <laughs> These fucking guys. And uh, yeah. and that's what that's going to solve everything because reasons. The answer is always more money for the consultants. Always that's the answer (laughs) to any problem. Yeah. But also, here's the thing. Here's how you know a campaign is succeeding. It's like they're at the phase where everyone points the finger at each other to be like, it's your fault we're losing. Right? Like the death spiral of the DeSantis campaign, uh, I was making a joke about it winning. This is actually like what a death spiral looks like. And it's a... particular phase of the death spiral, right, where blame begins to get assigned. And you know that it's about who gets assigned the blame because they leaked the crap out of this story. I read this story yesterday with my political consultant hat on in a giddy kind of way because they had so much color from the room, which means someone's walked out of that room, called NBC and was like, let me give you a play-by-play here. And they said, you have a stick up your ass, Scott, Roe fumed at Wagner, who's a member of the Never Back Down board. Why don't you come over here and get it? Wagner responded, <laughs> rising from his chair. He was quickly restrained by two fellow board members. The interaction was relayed to NBC News by a source who was in the room. This is not winning, my friends. Is it, is it wrong that that change got me a little sexually charged? It's <laughs> like, ooh, why don't you come over here and get it? Um, this is Roe's second fight he's been in during the campaign. Not the, the man that <laughs> there's been so much ink spilled about the genius, the great Svengali, oh. the great strategist, the number one draft pick. Trump wanted him. DeSantis wanted him. Everybody wanted Jeff Rowe, Glenn Youngkin. And, and he spent about $100 million to, to lose half his vote share and gotten in two and had to be <laughs> had to be held back from fistfights twice. Like once with his own board member and then once. Just shows how recall, passionate he is, Tim. Yeah, in Iowa at a bar, there was a random Donald Trump supporter he almost got it in with. So. Not great, you know, not a great time. It also, there, I think there's this, this serious element of this is all campaigns that are losing have leaks. So I, I don't want to act like, like that. It's not that this is unique to DeSantis. But these types of vicious personal recriminations also say something about the candidate, right? And I mean, you know, the oh, Jeb, yeah. Jeb campaign, we certainly had leaks, no doubt. I don't want any of my journalist friends listening being like, okay, Tim, don't, you know, don't try to reframe it. But like, it wasn't this. I, I, Jeb took responsibility, mostly, right, internally. And and sure, there were disagreements of opinion, and there were certain leaks, and donors, there were leaks from donors who were like, we're all idiots. But like within the team that Jeb had control over, uh, like, you know, we were mostly pretty much good soldiers because, you know, he was taking responsibility, and we didn't want to embarrass him. And uh, he was already being embarrassed enough just by the nature of, like, being a family scion and having, you know, and just totally face-planting. And so... Uh, you know, I think that the fact that DeSantis, like, uh, it, it almost reads to me Trumpian, like that he's he's spurring this on at this point, right? Like that he's pissed, he's happy that his buddy Wagner over here is pointing, like he wants them to leak it, right? Like they want, 
Like there's, yeah, there's, that's right. This is Jeff Rose's fault. In DeSantis' world, they want that out there, right? And I think that speaks a lot to, to the DeSantis' character, which is not that surprising. And also, to just because there's a million things in this story that are great, but this is one of them. The reason that there is now a new pack, right? They they claim in the story the ostensible reason is that never back down is too like connected to Ron DeSantis. Everyone knows it's him. And so when they attack Nikki Haley, they're getting a ton of blowback. And so actually what they need is a new pack, right, from the Tallahassee people, which means that what's happening is there is a split between like Ron DeSantis wants a pack with just his own people in it who are doing the work, which means he's starting to get to a point where he wants to shut Jeff Rowe out. Problem is Rowe has another hundred million dollars he's sitting on. So that seems like a bad thing, but can I read you my- a great sign for capitalism. I want you to read that, but I just, I just, I want JVL's two cents on the fact that the great, you know, the great and smart people who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps to make so much money are so brilliant that they've given Jeff Rowe a hundred million, which is just sitting there for a dead campaign. Look, it's important Thank you, Sarah. Look, people who are in the business should know, and you guys can tell them, that one of the clauses that consultants like Jeff Rowe have is that when performance is bad like this, they give the money they earned back. Right. <laughs> Isn't that standard in their contracts? Clawback. Yeah. Right. We don't yeah. eat if you don't eat. Isn't that yeah. how campaign no. consultants work? Or no? I'm sorry, Sarah. What was the other anecdote? Sorry. You're Go read? ahead. Uh, well, just since you mentioned donors. So one of the things about this is like they raised so much money in the early days. Right. Like my guess is, is that of this 200 million, they raised 150 of it. I could go back and figure this out, but like back in the end of Memorial Day. Yeah, right? Like Fourth such a long July. time ago yeah. when everybody thought DeSantis was the next thing. And so what you have to do is you really need to make fun of the people who would give them money now. But here's here's a quote from a donor that I love. I'm a bit agitated. These guys have spent all this money for no return, one DeSantis contributor said, and explaining the hesitation that deep-pocketed donors have when never back down asks for more cash. You don't just keep throwing money at Radio Shack. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Radio Shack. What a oh, but deep But you do burn. keep throwing money at GameStop. Yeah, maybe so. it'll be a meme stock at some point where people just make fun of Ron DeSantis so much that they can... <sighs> I don't, is that is there a way that we can turn the DeSantis campaign into a Bitcoin that these guys can kind of invest in? I don't know, but somebody should go to figure out who gave that quote. Somebody look at someone who lost a lot of money on Radio Shack <laughs> about 15 years ago, because that person's seeing some parallels right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess my my bigger my bigger picture thought on this is that Ron DeSantis and his the people around him and the donors around them have a problem perceiving reality. I think they never understood the reality of this campaign. They did not understand the reality of the electorate's relationship with Donald Trump. They did not understand the reality of the consequences for challenging Trump and losing. All these things were obvious to us and to anybody outside of the Republican world. They didn't pick up on and this strikes me, it, it is like living in an authoritarian state, right? When you're behind the Berlin Wall, your perception of reality is shaped by, by Stalin, right? And, and the, the Soviet Union controls how you understand what the world is like around here. And that's basically the, what the Republican Party is right now. It's an authoritarian state. And they can't even see how the contours of the world look so why should we think that they're ever going to be able to overthrow the the strongman? I guess my only pushback to that is that we are not clairvoyant, that like if you went back and listened to us circa 
January 2023, February, like Ron DeSantis looked awfully strong. I was thinking back to somebody asked me to do one of these, um, it's called like debate squared or something. I can't remember the thing, but it's like you had to pick a position and they offered, it was against Elaine Kmark, who is wonderful. And they were like, who do you want? The thing was resolved. Trump will be the next president or DeSantis will be the next president. They were like, asked me which one I wanted, Trump or DeSantis. And I was like, oh, I can make either argument. Like I'll take whichever one Elaine doesn't want. And Elaine was like, no, 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 you do it. And I was like, I'll take Trump. And even at the time, my arguments for DeSantis were stronger. Like my team was kind of like, why are you taking Trump? We have so much information from the focus groups that people want DeSantis right now. And I was like, I don't know. I'm just going to I'm just going to take the worst case scenario because I want to make the argument for like how bad it would be if that happened. And I don't want people to feel safe about it. But I just want to remind us that there was a world in which the donors had a pretty clear shot with DeSantis. And so I don't begrudge them that I begrudge them the last four months. And anybody who gives them money now is an idiot. Yeah, I'll tell you who I begrudge, Jeff Rowe. And yeah. this is where, I mean, yeah. DeSantis, yeah. DeSantis is bad, but the campaign, the, the super PAC strategy has been terrible. And so this is, I agree with that. I was basically 50-50 on DeSantis and Trump last. I mean, JVL was always more pro. That's Not why me. he has the T-shirt. Yeah, but I, I, I was right. basically 50-50. A gun to my head, I think I would have taken Trump at every step. But I was close to 50-50 at one point with DeSantis very early on in the winter. But... That was incumbent on the idea that DeSantis was going to run a different type of campaign and had a different type of appeal um, than than what we had seen in the past from Republicans going up against Trump. And like the fact that they ran the exact same campaign that Ted Cruz ran eight years ago against a guy that has even more hardened support than he did then. Like was insane. It was madness, right? And so this, and this is how you begrudge the donors, kind of, which is like, I know that that politics is not their expertise. They shouldn't be getting their hands in the cookie jar on what strategy to use. Are we using TV? Are we using mail? Are we using digital? But I, you would think that before you gave a couple million dollars to to somebody, that you would say like. Do you guys have a plan? Do you have a strategy here? Or like maybe I can dole this out in parts, or are you just going to take an eight percent vig or whatever Jeff's taking and run TV ads about how Ron DeSantis is the one true conservative? <laughs> because if you're going to do that, I, I can give my millions to something else, right? I could invest in Microsoft or something, right? Or you know, an AI startup. Or I can give my money to the poor. Like I don't have to. I don't have to do, give it to advertisements that aren't going to work. You could have given your money somewhere else. Like you don't. You don't have to just. Give three million to Jeff Rowe and say, "Oh, you're the same TV ads you ran eight years ago. You're going to run them again and move out Heidi Cruz and put in Casey DeSantis." Like I don't, I don't think that was a great plan. Also, I just want to say Jeff Rowe is doing some weird thing where he's taking sixty cents on the dollar for this. Like he's doing some all-encompassing. We do soup to nuts every yeah. single thing here, and his strategy. He and wow. so first of all, yeah, I mean it is like there's consultant money and then there's like what Jeff Rowe's doing which is insane. And I hope I hope he makes it all on this because if anybody ever hires him again, then nobody should take that person people seriously from the jump. Yeah, this is so embarrassing. 100%. So embarrassing for people. Here's the thing. His strategy, I've said this before, but I just, the strategy was wrong. Like they had a chance to go consolidate what was a significant chunk of the party that wanted to move on from Trump, that had an electability argument, that wanted somebody younger. There was a move on from Trump bucket, and then there was a maybe Trump bucket. And they could have consolidated the move on from Trump bucket by being normal. They could have worked into the maybe Trump bucket. And instead, DeSantis and the PAC chose to wrestle Trump for his death cult. 
that was a choice. Yeah. That was an active choice. But without even wrestling. That's actually a bad metaphor, kind yeah, of. That's right. it's yeah, like, that's right. It's like, I, it's like, I'm going to focus on trying to appeal to the death cult without giving them any reason to yeah. appeal to me besides Trump, except for like some subtext. Yeah. If you know anything about Republican voters right now, it's that they are, they, they play in the nuance, right? They really do. It's, yeah, that's, that's where they live. Well, I mean, for instance, he could have gone very hard at Trump on the classified documents, right? He could have said the Alvin Bragg case is, is BS and the Stormy Daniels stuff is BS and I don't think January 6th. But the classified, right, he could have gone hard and he's just as bad as Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton, right? He could Now, maybe that doesn't work or maybe it does. But, you know, like in the, the first blush of the moment when there was a, a chance to draw blood on Trump, he just went into troll guard to protect Trump on that. Or some of the stuff they're doing now. Was it one of the DeSantis people was out there with a, the biggest loser kind of thing? Yeah. And it was, you know, like a, a play on the reality show. Like they could have started that last Thanksgiving a year ago. Yeah. And like while, while it was fresh in people's mind. He's a loser, 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 he's a loser. Before Republicans all decided that actually Trump won. Right. Right. This is the, the, he participated in the actually Trump won narrative by like nudging and winking at it and then decided to camp. Like, how does that work? This was always the trap that they didn't realize they set for themselves. And once they were campaigning, they were like, oh, wait, the electability argument's impossible to make to the vast majority of the party who wants to hear that Donald Trump didn't lose the election. Yeah. And that Joe Biden is senile geriatric yeah. who can't even walk, is drooling on himself, and that actually AOC is running the White House. Like, it's hard to then make the electability argument against that. Yeah. Can we do a quick minute on Nikki Haley? Because while I was gone, uh, Nikki Haley said some stupid stuff about, uh, you know, and I'm president, I'm going to pull us out of the World Health Organization and defund the United Nations to the extent possible and blah, blah, blah. And I saw some people be like, see, look, she's just as bad as as Trump. And I, I the extent to which the entire universe should be behind Nikki Haley at this point, even though it's a one in a one in a thousand shot. Like, I really, truly believe because, I mean, we get two chances to beat Trump, one with Haley, which is a like one in a thousand shot and one with Biden, which is a one in you know, a 50-50 shot or maybe a 45-55 shot. And she's not as bad as Trump. Like, this is, you know, she's not my cup of tea. But on the other hand, like, there is some sign of life there. And I know, Tim, you're squinting. You're giving me the, just, the squinty. I was just surprised like, that was your take, that there's some sign of life. Because I just, I keep looking, because you were the one that wrote the best article about this, which is that that everyone's talking about Nikki Haley surging, and actually it's Donald Trump surging. Oh. It's just like every time I look at it, like in that, you know, me and Bill talked about this on YouTube a little bit. There's a Florida poll out, and, and obviously, yeah, she's Nikki at like six. Never, yeah, right. she's never going to win Florida, obviously, but she's at six, six. And so, you know, this theory of the case for her is always just like, oh well, you know, she's going to do well in Iowa, do well in New Hampshire, do well in South Carolina, yada yada yada. And then she'll do well in all these other states, and it's like it's a long way from six to fifty-one. So that's true, but the reason that people think that this could happen is because everybody just watched it happen with Biden, right? And I think that actually the flaw that people are making is a different flaw than that, which is it's that thinking that the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are the same. And the fact that Joe Biden, everybody counted him out. I don't know what he was polling or, you know, remember he finished third His national polls like, were still better than Iowa. He's nationally, he led nationally the Maybe, but way. we're still along, we're still far. I mean, she's she is moving. She's got some movement. She could come in a very close second New Hampshire if Chris Christie would get his butt out. 
And he will, I think, I expect, and she'll be uh, running more neck and neck, and that'll create a different narrative, and people will take a different look at her. She might start picking up some movement. DeSantis basically goes away in a bunch of places. I'm surprised to hear JVL say it because he's been mocking the Nikki Haley play. It's like you went away, you came back, and with a kinder, gentler, like— Nikki Haley to save us all. Look, as I said, I think it's a a one in a thousand shot. But on the other hand, like that's the that's the carnival game in front of us at the moment. And so people ought to to put some quarters in the machine and, you know, don't do anything that's going to make it harder to to uh, to help Biden win. Yeah. But in the in the moment. But but Nikki might make it easier to help Biden win. Like if she really starts to fight for it. Well, she would have to, right? This is the thing. That's right. This this is the reason I like Nikki in the race in a way that I didn't like DeSantis or I like her being in second is that if if she picks the fight for real because she sees herself as having a shot. So she goes hard and she talks about funding for Ukraine. Number one, she puts a bunch of arguments in front of people that I think are good. I think that her like defund the UN, uh, see, I don't want to leave the UN, but the UN is like kind of a cesspool and, uh, it's not, it's not, I don't, she's, she's making some points. I don't, you're not, I don't. You're not impressed with the Human Rights Commission that has I China am not and Russia. The China and like Iran, like, I don't know, but it's not good. Their commitment to, to women's rights is dubious, to human rights, uh, oh, yeah. so. And this is a story as old as time. I mean, Jean Kirkpatrick was making these arguments in the 80s. Like, sure. this is, yeah. So I'm just saying, like, to me, that is a way for her to do a little bit of the populist, dance without saying things that to me seem out of bounds. Like she's making the moral case for supporting Ukraine and she's starting to show signs of life, uh, to use JBL's phrase, around her criticisms of Donald Trump. And so for her to go more of the distance in there, and I agree with Tim's sort of just like political assessment. One of the things people are not spending a lot of time doing is looking at like the early Super Tuesday states that are winner take all, winner take most. And Trump is up in many cases, he's at like 60% in these things. Like the idea, the whole thing hinges on the idea that what happened with Joe Biden, where everybody drops out and endorses him, he wins a critical state, and like everyone down the line just like flips because they decide this is the guy who's the most viable. That's the idea that that could happen. I think that that, ha- I think that misunderstands who the Republicans yeah. are why they're different from Democrats, but I, I think- There's one other key difference. Joe Biden was not running against a cult leader. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I the, the other problem here, though, is that the you can't trust any of these Republicans, I think, to follow the logic of their positions because the logic of Nikki's position is that if she doesn't win the nomination, she should be endorsing Joe Biden, right? Like, I'm sorry, if, if Ukraine- is one of the defining, you know, issues of our time and has far-ranging global implications for how America deals with the world, then if Donald Trump's the nominee, you can't just say, well, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm with the Republican because he's better or something. Well, this was what I asked her right? in my one interview with her. I asked her, I went back and forth, two, it was an interview, it was in a press conference, but it was, uh, I asked her twice. I was like, you've been on the campaign trail talking about how this is a time that calls for moral leadership. It was right after 10-6. It's with Russia and with what Israel's facing. I was like, do you believe that Donald Trump can provide moral leadership? No answer, no answer, no answer. Follow-up. Like, do you believe that he can provide moral leadership? I don't have the exact transcript in front of me, but she says no. To her credit, like, she did answer the follow-up question and said no. But I, 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 gen- I generally don't go along with your little shtick that's like every Republican logically should be for Joe Biden. Uh, but... I mean, at least she should logically be a person that abstains, right? Like, I'll at least grant that. Like, that her her stated positions, her stated not not assuming what's not in evidence about what's happening inside her brain, but her stated positions should leave her as 
abstaining in a general election, and I and I do not think that she would. Same with Mike Pence. Same with Chris Christie. Yeah. Right. Same with like everybody except for Vivek and and DeSantis should wind up on Team Biden, and none of them will. Mike Lee. Mike Lee, another great never-Trumper from the future guy who tried to lead the convention floor fight against Trump, is now just asking questions about uh, the the Fibbies being the ones to... Nothing bad happened at the Capitol, and it was a great patriotic moment, but anything that was bad that happened was either Antifa or the police. And Mike Lee is... I guess, like, what... What happens to people like this is another cat, whatever, like he and Pete Mayer, right? Meyer, Major, Major, who could say how his name is pronounced? Um, Major grocery store chain across the Midwest. If you say so. um, I want to get to Pete Meyer, but I just I want one that I've done so much on Mike Lee. So I don't don't want to be repetitive uh, for for our loyal listeners that just hang on every word. But I do want to do one thing for in the spirit of Thanksgiving for Mike Lee. If you're at a Mm. Thanksgiving meal this week and someone raises the idea that the FBI that might have been behind January 6th. I'm just, I'm desperate to get the opportunity to talk to somebody with this theory um, and to respond to them with just ask them a question, which is, okay, but then why did all of the MAGA patriots still charge the Capitol and mace police and stab them? This is the stupidest thing about this conspiracy theory. Like, even if it was true, it wasn't true. This guy was holding a vape pen, not a badge, and, and he's pleaded guilty and said he was an idiot, so it wasn't true. But even if it was true that there were 10 FBI agents scattered around January 6th, and they were whispering in everybody's ear, charge the Capitol, charge the Capitol. So? I mean, that, again, that would be bad. We should then investigate the FBI. But then why did people charge the Capitol? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you couldn't get me if a FBI person came up to me during the gay pride parade and said, Tim, there are some Christians over there that want to ban you from gay marriage. Let's charge them. Let's or like those that cop over there is against gay pride. You should mm-hmm. you should mace them. Like you should take a flagpole and stab him with it. I'd be like, who in the fuck is this person? I'd be going to the cops being like, this guy's trying to get me to stab you. Like right, like like that. That is not how the human brain works. Like the FBI is not some all, all powerful, you know. General AGI, AI, general intelligence saying that has mind control over people. Like, great patriots could still make the decision and say, no, we'll still protest peacefully here on the Capitol grounds. Like, the whole theory is is stupid. Well, also, I mean, if we're just taking it that, like, well, the FBI was egging people on. Okay, do we think egging people on is not good? Are we worried about egging people on? I don't know. I remember a speech being given that day by somebody kind of important telling people that they better fight like hell or they won't have a country anymore. And so if we're if we're believing— Maybe that person was also a plant. Was it the—I pre- no, don't know. I'm pretty sure it was Donald Trump, the president of the United States, who was saying this. Who can say just asking questions? That's not even the stupidest thing about—none of this is even the stupidest thing about Mike Lee's thing is that he wasn't asking questions. He was asserting things like a total crank job weirdo. Being like, the FBI was behind January 6th. This guy's flashing a badge. Like, he was on multiple, in multiple occasions, saying the kind of like dark web conspiracy QAnon nuttery. I am genuinely, am I shocked? I keep trying to decide. It's like the shocked but not surprised, I guess. And then he's like fighting with Liz Cheney, and he's like, he and Marjorie Taylor Greene won a new January 6th commission to like put. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger on trial? Like, what are we talking about here? And Mike Johnson's releasing all the tapes 
so that people can go through them and see the secret mm. exits that people used. It's like, what? The tapes are out there. Cool. You've got all the tapes. I don't know. Have you seen anything in the tapes that they now have since he's released them that make us be like, you know what? This was an inside job. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure these dopes would have found it if it existed at this point. Tapes have been out for a while. Yeah, he's releasing even more. There's more footage. There's another okay, 14,000 Well, I can't wait to see hours. more people vaping. <laughs> So here's my question for you. Was Mike Lee with Mr. Pocket Constitution Small Government, was he the fraud? Or is this Mike Lee the fraud? Which one of them is real? I have a half-read piece by former that Ala Pundit guy who has a real name, whose name I real name I forget. I only know him as Ala Pundit, where I'm, I'm only halfway through it, so I don't know what his total thesis is, but I'm it was excited. basically that— have you read it? No, I'm excited to learn the thesis. But uh, So he was disagreeing with our old buddy, Andrew Egger, who basically said, like, the cynicism of Mike Lee, like, cannot be overstated. That this is just, like, the height of just cynicism yeah. to pandering to the base. And he's disagreeing with that and actually trying to make the case that, like, this is always who Mike Lee was. That he is a person who started out as an insurrection, not, and I don't mean insurrection like attacking the Capitol, but he challenged the normie establishment candidate, right? And then was like a Tea Party conservative and that he has been sort of chasing the what he sees as the base, the most advantageous route to power for himself his whole career, which I just thought was sort of a different take. This is good. This is telling yeah. this, this answers JVL's good. question is that neither is the fake actually. And, and this is all part and parcel of who he is. And that, and it tells, says a lot about the Republican movement, actually, which confirms my priors in a way that maybe flatters my priors a little too much. Maybe I should think about this more deeply. But is that in 2010, he thought the way to, to reach the Republican base was to be like, I'm Mr. Pocket Constitution Man. And in 2023, he thinks the way to appeal to the base is we should end the Constitution and make Donald Trump a dictator. And, and maybe he was right on both counts. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's the base that has changed. Can I read you the Peter Meyer quote? Or do you have yeah, let's that? do Peter Meyer. Please do Peter I Meyer. I just have to we'll do this. On. It's very related. I love this quote. He was pressed uh, several times about how he can support Donald Trump after he voted to impeach him, which, uh, even though it was in the House, not the Senate, held with it the implication that Donald Trump should be banned from being president ever again. Uh, Here's his quote, very Mike Lee-esque. And frankly, if Donald Trump is returned to the Oval Office, there would probably be few better motivators to rein in executive power. I've been railing against the risks of the Office of the Presidency, which I think is the most dangerous institution in the country today. Make an autocrat the president so that we can rein in the autocrat's power, is Peter Meyer, good Republican's logical argument for supporting Donald Trump. Did he get that from Susan Collins? Is that where he got that from? Like, well, this time he's really learned his lesson. I, I don't think Susan Collins can even get that galaxy brain. I mean, I, uh, uh, I like this one. Somebody, I tweeted this quote, and uh, this guy, I don't know him, so credit to Ahmed Baba. He goes, Trump is planning to replace 54,000 federal workers with loyalists who are hell-bent on weaponizing executive power to implement his agenda, which, is a, which includes jailing opponents. I don't know if any of them are going to be on board with the reforms that Peter Meyer is, is calling for. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? I mean, like that is just the galaxy brain take of all galaxy brains. Like we're gonna we're gonna make the dictator dictator so that people will see the threat clearly. And then we can bring in real constitutional governance on the back end. Here's the thing. They sat in a room, he and his team, and they said, How do we be on Trump's side while remaining constant while remaining in theory? 
in rhetoric on the side of sort of principled constitutional conservatism. And this is what they came up with, which is Donald Trump in his excesses and his autocratic behavior will lead us to rethink the powers of the presidency and therefore it's a good thing. You have to destroy the office in order to save the office. And I think that Peter Meyer thinks that that must sound quite profound to him and that a whole bunch of anti-antis are going to sit around being like, that's really good theory, mm. Peter are Meyer. They? Mm. Are, are they? I, Who is this even for? I, I, it really is just a post hoc rationalization to be yes. able to say he's for Trump. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't think right. any of the voters that he's trying to appeal, like this is about him, right? It's like, how do I rationalize it for me? Because all he's trying to do is give a fig leaf to the voters who are like, oh, he's for Trump now. Yeah. Which isn't going to work, but like, right? And there's no voters who are like, yeah, that's a great point. Who is that for? It's for the media, I think. Right. Like, right. I think it's, it, right, it's, because he still has media class sensibilities. Right. And so he thinks that this is a cogent and rational way to defend against the obvious question, which is, Peter Meyer, you voted to impeach this man because he did a coup. You were clear at the time. You've subsequently been walking this back. You walked it back during your primary campaign, which you lost because the voters threw you out for your, your vote. And now, as you're running for Senate in a Republican primary, you have you have decided, no, Trump is in fact good. Here are my reasons for it. And so he's going to get that question a million times. So he I needed an answer. This is it. It's so weird and bad. But here's the thing. If we can decide that Mike Lee is not doing this for cynical reasons because this is who he's always been, that is not true of Peter Meyer. Peter Meyer is doing this. This is a full-on J.D. Vance like personality transplant. I disavow all my previous— No, my, it's my, not, though. It is. So I was just going to ask you, Sarah, why doesn't he just go the full J.D. Vance and say, I was wrong about Trump? Because that's what J.D. did, right? J. I mean, Peter's still, Mayor Meyer, Mayor, he's still doing this thing where he's pretending that the Trump thing is serious, but I'm on board with it anyway. Why not just go the J.D. Vance thing where you say, you know what? I was wrong. I was a scared little boy, and I didn't really realize how terrible the deep state forces were. And this guy is just what we need. Because that you know is what? literally what J.D. Vance did. He did. Although I think, like, we may we may be internalizing, like, J.D. Vance is at a different point on his journey. To me, it seems like Peter Meyer might be on just, like, a beginning, like, the early days of his <laughs> J.D. Vance journey, right? Which He's begin, get there. begins mm. with some rationalizations like this, the galaxy brain, and before you know it, uh, and like, you know, he gets a little, the, maybe the MAGAs start treating him a little nicer. And so then he starts to be like talking to them more, understanding their grievances more. And then he's a man of the people. And then he's got to go full MAGA because he's such a good guy who understands the needs of the people. Like I could see him getting there. And I just want to tell you that I have built up a kind of armor, right, for these good guys who go bad, who break bad. Mm -hmm. You know, they can't break my heart anymore. Good. Because. Except for St. Uh, Larry. <laughs> That's well. different. I'm tell you why it's different. Continue. I didn't mean to do, do, do you're saying you were built up your armor. No, other than just I like the fact that this is still happening at this late stage, like at some point you'd think like we'd be kind of set like on this, like well, no new information is coming available. So like it's still weird to see that people have decided to like go through this transformation. And this is Body why, snatched late. And this is why I just say, if you are out there and you are friends with Peter Meyer or his consultants and you just, and you, I just want to send you a message. Just like as part of the media class, 
that he's trying to win over with these tortured explanations. Let me just tell you, it's not working. It is just makes me want to hate him more and mock him more. And just do it. Tell him, just go full JD. Just do it. Like, I mean, I would prefer if he just used all of daddy and granddaddy's money and just like did something good for society and stepped away from politics for a while. That'd be my preferred path. But if he's not going to do that, if he's going to try to tiptoe to JD, just just rip it off. Just rip off the Band-Aid because this, this is painful. This is, then we this just, is, so we all know who you are. Yeah, this just this isn't working for anyone. The rich guy with inherited wealth turns out to just be that guy. Hmm, interesting. More capitalism. JVL, can I do our last segment? Can I host? Because I want to put you Please. in the panelist section for our last segment. Oh, okay? I like that. Because I had a topic that I thought was just perfect for JVL. It has been a good, very good few weeks for Joe Biden. I don't know if you noticed uh, his polls. Polls kept coming out while you were gone that had him doing worse and worse. And, hmm. um, you know, people are really are really struggling out there as um, is, is one of the so rationalizations. Hard. But uh, I'm in an undisclosed vacation location that is... Uh, in a in a place, in a remote locale that not a single one of our grandparents ever would have dreamed of going unless they were at war. I mean, mm. they had no, absolute no access to this type of vacation, you know, very, uh, very fancy. Uh, thank you to, uh, I'm like, I'm not quite Peter Meyer level, but, you know, I have, thanks to my parents' privilege, not thanks to Sarah, who, who pays me well, but, you know, maybe not as well as we could all hope for. Um, but uh, This is great. Uh, it's a great lead into the question. Uh, anyway, let me tell you, airport, packed, plane, packed, hotel, packed to the gills. Americans, everybody's here, gathering, holidays, very expensive uh, time to travel, um, uh, the holidays. You know, I, I don't, I, I did not notice a ton of evidence of, you know, maybe that there was an economic struggle, right? Like generally, you know, if there's economic struggle, if you're tightening your belt a little bit, you know, one of the first things to go might be international Holiday travel, you know, you might decide, hey, maybe I'll just have my family over. Maybe I'll just have that $90 butterball. Did you see this? Jason Chaffetz said turkey costs $90 in Joe Biden's America. Mm. That's not right. Actually, it's about 10x more than what a turkey costs if you, if you go to the grocery store. But um, maybe I'll just stay here with my family. You know, maybe we'll do leftovers. Maybe, you know, maybe we'll just do scraps. That might maybe be we'll the just, way to uh, celebrate. Grass soup because it's <laughs> dust bowl days outside. <laughs> We're out there pulling but up turnips and grass. Anywho, anywho simmering I, in a tin can over a fire. Everything was a little more expensive, was a little bit more annoying. But I'm just saying, out there, if you, if you see, look at the economic data, you look at the travel data, busiest, busiest travel weekend in history. History, not just this year, but that the planes, the airports were going to be busier than ever before this weekend, 2023, Thanksgiving. JVL, don't you understand, though? Why people who are going to this airport and have to pay $4.50 for the water at the airport are pretty frustrated and, and are ready to maybe turn things over to a benevolent autocrat instead. So we're a few weeks past Halloween. Do you guys remember in the weeks leading up to Halloween, the gigantic skeletons that were on every third yard? Right. This was the the must have Halloween decoration of 2023 was the 12 foot polyurethane skeleton, mm. which uh, appeared at Home Depot and everybody was charmed by them. These skeletons retail for three hundred dollars. <laughs> Every fourth house that I drove and and I don't mean like just in my mind, little neighborhood of Manhattan. I mean, like all over the state of New Jersey when I was like traveling hither, thither and yon for, you know, Various sporting events. Every fourth house had a $300 skeleton on its front lawn. This is this is what people don't like. 
things are always hard in America. Like this is a there is very little slack in our economic system, right? Things that if if you are a working family, you are one lost job or one very serious illness away from from real financial trouble. Things are very hard when you are on a fixed income. That is that was true in 1992. It was true in 2002. It was true in 2016, and it's true today. To look around the world that we live in with the highest level of boat sales ever, the $300 skeletons, the trips to exotic locales, and simultaneously say that America's economy is in the same shape that it was in during the Great Recession of 2008 and 2009 is psychotic. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that like, oh, you all should be grateful that Joe Biden gave you your turkey. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the level of disconnect between reality and and consumer sentiment, as is measured everywhere, is so baffling as to be, I mean, it's just nobody understands it. And I don't think that any of the rationalizations that we construct about this hold any water whatsoever because they're all post facto. Like if you just looked at the economic data and said, draw me the number on the consumer sentiment line where we were, you would never put it where we are today. I love that. I love that. Sarah, I've got a follow up for you. Um, right before this podcast, I think my brother was trolling me. I'm not sure about this, but he let me know that in his WhatsApp chain, his friend group chain, he, uh, which is mostly non-political, quite well-off suburban white guys. It's just, just for the demo for everybody. Uh, he's seen a significant move from Biden to Trump because people are concerned about, about their status. I think probably that WhatsApp chain probably had a 70% polyurethane skeleton um, <laughs> usage. I don't, I don't know. I'll ask him after. I don't know that for a fact, but just, just demographically. So, so talk to me about that, um, Sarah. Where do, you, where do you fall on this? Are you, are you you're feeling the pain this holiday season? I think you just said something that is important to this conversation that Great. sometimes I think gets lost when you guys do this little shtick that you do, which is... <gasps> oh my god. Stick. Stick. Never. It, watching both your eyes at the <laughs> accusation that some of this could be shtick. Oh my god. Uh, the demographics of the people that with the, the people Tim is sharing the hotel with and that JVL shares a neighborhood with is not all of America. And you may have heard of something about the wealth gap, which is a real thing. And I don't love the anecdata. Now, I think, JVL, you're stronger when you're with the data data, but the data data cuts both ways in a couple places. Uh, there are places where the economy is strong, and there are places where the economy is comparatively weak. And they flush out into a picture that is like where there are people in the country who are struggling a lot harder than the people who are able to afford the $300 skeleton. And I also think your conversation, a lot of the data misses I learned this from a Bill Crystal conversation, but it has stuck with me. Uh, and maybe, maybe Tim, you've said it before too, but like one of the things I hear the most from people is the desire to take a step right now, but being unable to do it because of where interest rates are or because of the cost of, of goods. Um, so like the small business owner, I just, this is like a thing that came up the other day. He can't get a new pizza oven. He owns a pizza store, wants a new pizza oven. The cost of the pizza oven has gone up for X uh, from what it used to cost. And so like he can't get the new pizza oven. 
I talk with a lot of young people and they, you know, none of them feel like, like home ownership is this like absolutely distant thing that they can't possibly imagine with interest rates being what they are. I know a lot of people with young families um, who sort of hope to be at a stage where they could move into a bigger house that they can't or like a place with grass, can't do it because uh, of where the interest rates are. So I'm just saying that I'm not sure your anecdata totally here agree. captures the entire sentiment of the country. I don't believe anybody should justify voting for Donald Trump over any of this. And I have never made that argument. I just don't want to be dismissive of things that I think are real for people. I appreciate that. And I want to defend my shtick for one second because I do agree with that. And I and I think that if this conversation, and I think maybe next week or in a couple weeks, well, we have a year to, to analyze all the data, I, I have real concerns about working class voters of color and their... The, the soft numbers they're showing towards Biden. I think that we could have a deep conversation about whether that's just frustration, whether they'll come home, whether there's something deeper there. Uh, we will all talk about all that. I'm specifically discussing the fact that like there are there are two groups of swing voters, right? There are these working class voters, the union guys used to be down, right? Okay. And then there is the suburban Atlanta, very wealthy, have a yard with grass people that are that have conservative dispositions that are in a lot of our friend groups or extended friend groups who used to vote for Mitt Romney and switched to Joe Biden. These are the people on the text chain I'm talking about. Yeah. The fact that they are backsliding because the economy is so bad, because they're, the fancy dinners that they go to are more expensive than they used to be. These are the people that I have no patience for. Life is, if you are, if you got on a plane this Thanksgiving to leave the country, as I did and many, many, many other people did based on the customs line in the one airport that I was at. There are a lot of other airports where people do this. Then I do not want you to come back to America and say, I am thankful for my family. I am thankful for my tan. I am thankful for this beach vacation. I am not thankful for Joe Biden, whom for whom it's his fault that it cost me 8% more than it would have to go to the Yucatan Peninsula. And so instead, I want a fucking game show host dictator as the next president. I do not have sympathy for those people. And those are the only people that I'm talking about when I bring up this topic. Okay. Happy, Happy Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. <laughs> everyone. Uh, and remember, remember, uh, no Sunday show this week. We will be back, I think, as normal next week, right? Yeah, but We're there's an awesome Thanksgiving Day focus group pod with Ooh. Judy Woodruff where we try to heal the world with focus group people. It's a nicer one than normal. Do you know what we I need in America? That. Yeah. We need a system of knighthood because she should be Dame oh Judy my Woodruff. God. Judy Shouldn't Woodruff she? is the greatest. Actually, you guys want to hear I don't like story. systems of knighthood, but I do love jo Jody Woodruff, and I do want to hear she the should, story. She should be Dame Judy Woodruff. Okay, I'm sorry. so Judy and I have started, uh, we we travel together sometimes, or not travel together, but we go to the same place because I've started doing these you know, TV focus groups for PBS, which she then you know asked me questions about for she's got this America at a Crossroads thing. But we were both on a plane to a place where I'm not going to tell you, and the plane didn't make it to the place where it was supposed to go. And it just dropped us in a different place. Mm. And was basically like, figure out how to get to the place that you're going. And that required like hours of car travel, staying overnight in a hotel, and then like a boat. And when I, when we were off the plane, Judy Woodruff, who I actually hadn't realized was going to be on the flight, were waiting for her luggage. And it turns out the plane that to get the luggage where we had to like leave the plane had left with her luggage on it. Like, they just turned around and took all the people whose luggage was on the plane with it. And so we were bo both going to a thing to speak. 
And she had another speaking engagement right after it. And so I'm selling her, Judy, you should just bail on this. Like, you do not need to do this speaking thing. You should just go put your feet up and, like, go to a nice hotel right now. And she doesn't – she's not traveling with anybody. She doesn't have, like, staff on her. Um, And I'm trying to help her figure it out. But, like, the next day, the next morning, I ran into her in the line on the boat that we're on, like, the ferry boat to take us (laughs) to the place we need to go. But I had, like – I was, like, I will sit in for you. Like, I will do your talk for you. And she's, like, sort of texting the person who's running it to be, like, I don't know uh, what – but she got it together, recovered her luggage, had a super late night, got up and took a ferry, and, like, got to this place because she made an obligation. She told somebody she was going to speak, and she felt bad doing it, and then she, like, rushed out to go catch her next plane to go back. And I just want to tell you, I I have felt guilty ever since that I counseled her not to do it. I was the bad person in her ear being like, you should just bail on this because this is crazy what you're doing. She's a great person. She is a great person. I was Though I was really hoping the story was going to end another way, and she was going to borrow, like, a lesbian outfit from you. And you were going to be like, Judy Woodruff was out there, and she was in carpenter jeans and a, a zip Fingerless zip. gloves. Right, fingerless gloves. <laughs> I thought this was going to go like you and Judy Woodruff doing planes, trains, and automobiles. Well, so there was a planes, trains, and automobiles that happened, but it happened with Juan Williams. Okay, we're going to have to Also great. It's also a, great. A whole separate, it was a separate thing, but we took, we took a lot of vehicles. Juan Williams really needed to eat at a restaurant. And so we had to go to illegal seafoods at like nine o'clock at night to make sure that we were all we had we were fed before our long trek. Wow. It was just like the randomest smattering of people, and we all had to figure out how to Is get Juan to this place. Juan a Bulwark Plus subscriber? No, oh, uh, I don't think so. He, but he knows the Bulwark. Everyone knows the Bulwark. Yeah, of course. Now. Mm. But I just think I just think that if you had to sit through illegal seafoods for Juan Williams, that it, the least he could do is become a Bulwark Plus subscriber. So mm, please talk about know. his grandchildren the whole time. <laughs> Wonderful, lovely man. Two out of three of us have done long journeys with Juan Williams, which is a very strange (laughs) thing. Not me. All right, guys, happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week. Bye. Peace. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.